It is track this. We are here for another episode of Formula One updates. And uh, it's going to get more exciting as we get into the year because it seems that Mercedes-Benz has dialed in their car and we could have a really great battle for the second place in the Constructors' title. And of course, to chat to me a little bit more about this is Avon Middleton, the famous, the amazing, the totally ultra-cool publisher and director of Top Gear magazine. Uh, hey, Avon, how's it going? Hello. <laughs> it's going well. Uh, thanks for that really hectic intro. Appreciate it. <laughs> we just we we we're here to make you sound cool. You are cool, but we're here to make you sound even cooler. Thank you, thank you. I am cool. <laughs> you definitely <laughs> are. Well. <laughs> and joining us a little later on in the show is Matthew Kanai, which is of course a familiar voice, a professional automotive and lifestyle content creator, and a massive Red Bull fan. He's going to be joining us in just a little while. But uh, let's first get into some of the news that's. Uh, been taking the Formula One uh, industry by storm. And us here in South Africa are really sad about the news that came out in the last week or so. And that's the fact that the South African Grand Prix is yet again not going to be included uh, in a calendar. It's not, looks like it's not coming in 2024, Avon. Yeah, I think the writing's on the wall for that specifically. 2024 is a no-go. And the reasons cited, I guess, officially were our relationship with Russia. And I certainly think... That's, I think that's the PR reason, the, the reason that works well for news and for, you know, to sort of leak to certain press. But I think there's also some other issues. And I think the one issue has been just simply timing. I think we've just taken too long to make our decisions. And as much as I understand it, uh, everything, was, everything was pretty much agreed. Contracts were already in place, not necessarily signed, but they were in place. But I think we just dragged our heels slightly too long and we missed out on 2024 um i am hopeful of 2025 though I, I i think there's still some negotiation going on there and we're hopeful of some news of that hopefully in the next couple of weeks um because i i fear that if we don't get it right for 2025 geez i don't i don't know if we will get it right i'm also really worried about that because you know we, we've been hearing some great um through the the grapevine background noise if you want to call it that and um, the fact that we were so close to 2024 and yeah. now this news has come out, it's, it's really saddened me moving forward as well. Do you think we're even going to get one? Let's, let's put a time period to it in Lewis Hamilton's racing days. You know what? I'm, I'm, a very, I'm very hopeful of it. I'm generally a positive person and I'm hopeful that we can salvage something. You know, I don't think we've ever been this close, you know, uh, where most of the parties have come together and actually agreed on stuff, you know. Um, money was not an issue. Venue was not an issue. Um, agreements with Formula One weren't an issue, obviously, until this this Russia sort of news hit us. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, to answer your question, I'm positive that we could salvage something for 25, and that would be in Lewis Hamilton's era, I think. I mean, we don't know this for a fact, but we think it would be. But really, I think beyond that, for us to get so close past that is going to be is going to be much more difficult. Um, so yeah, it's really disappointing, but I'm I'm really hopeful. Let's 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 hope for the best in this case, because 2025, you know, as much as it's we miss 2024, it's it's not a long way away, and we'll still be in this current era of Formula One before regulations change and we have a whole bunch of new teams coming on board. So I'm hopeful. 
All right, so I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed and my toes crossed and my hair braided or whatever you want to say that you do for good luck that hopefully it does come. Um, and you know, South Africa would be great and having, what, we're the only one of two continents that don't have a race is Africa and Antarctica. So like, I mean, we really need to get on board with this plan now. Yeah, let's, let's do what we can. So if you're listening, just um, do what you need to as, as Chris says, whatever that thing you do for luck, do it now. Pray, dance in the rain, because there is rain at this time of the year, weirdly. Do it's what you need enough, to do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Matthew's joined us at the most opportune moment as well, because we move into our second bit of news that seems to be taking the Formula One world by storm. And that's the fact that Max Verstappen has come out saying that he's likely to move on from Formula One after his contract with Red Bull comes to an end. Matthew, that must make you very sad inside. Not really. Uh, Max is very good as a tactician online, so he knows what to say. And I think at his level, he can say those things. But knowing his personality and how he is throughout the years, he is someone who pretty much would achieve what he needs to achieve. And once he's achieved it, he would move on to the next challenge, kind of like what Vettel did at Red Bull. Then he moved on to Ferrari. But it, it's, it's, it's tough to say. You know, a lot of people say a lot of stuff and, you know, they, they do the opposite. Uh, he's got a strong team. Red Bull want to dominate. They're coming up to their 100th win this weekend, should they do it. But for him to say it, it's bold. But, you know, he, he just likes to stir and play with the media. He, he does have that dry humor, sarcasm. Um, so absolutely not worried. I think he'll be with the team for a long time. And also based on the performances of the other team, why would he throw that away um, and then just carry on being a champion? Lewis did it seven times. Why can't he do it here? So I don't think it's a likely move. I just think he's just gassing up and, and putting a cap in the chicken's <laughs> hen. So yeah, it's it's one of those sport rumors that I don't take seriously Um until I start seeing, you know, like a transfer season. So it's just, it's gas for me. Well, look, let's talk about transfer season because I feel like at the moment that is a lot of the talk that's in the wind because Lewis Hamilton technically hasn't signed a contract as of yet. Toto is alluding, yeah. Ferrari is alluding, uh, Red Bull is alluding. We don't know what's happening. There could potentially be a transfer happening and potentially one of the biggest moves in sporting history. Yeah, look, there's a lot of stuff coming up, and um, there's also a new team to contend with, and there might be another team that's joining alongside of Audi. That's if someone was to take the helm. But, I mean, you know, Audi Sport, uh, I've got some strong rumors to lay around there that will obviously shock uh, a lot of people. But Oh, you know, let's hear them. Put them rumors down. We want to hear them. Shock and awe. Okay. So here's my shock and awe. Okay, so um, you guys will agree with it once I say it, but basically Audi Sport's a very strong team, um, and the rumor starts like this. So Carlos Sainz Sr. is obviously racing for Dakar with Audi Sport in the electric, so he already has the relationship with Audi Sport, and the rumor is that um, they've been in talks already, and you know Ferrari aren't kind of putting him as the number one driver, and he needs a place where he can shine and show his talents, and so the rumor is that the deal is done and he'll be heading out to head up the team as the, the number one driver at Audi Sport, um, which makes sense with his relationships and his dad's relationship with Audi Sport. They need an established, developed driver at the top level, which is him. The other second rumor, which I'm yet to believe, but it's Audi Sport tempting Vettel back to come drive as a development Ooh. driver, kind of like what Kubica comes for Audi Sport. 
either that or he goes as technical directive to Red Bull Racing. Um, but that second rumor, not so sure. But I, I do have a strong mm. suspicion going on how things are going at Ferrari that it's a no-brainer for Carlos to move to Audi Sport. And as we know, Audi, very serious, just like Porsche and Motorsport. So they're not going to go there to back it up with Williams. They're going to be there as front title runners. So um, that, for me, is quite a strong one. But then again, science leaves. It leaves an open seat for Ferrari for the 26 uh, season. And obviously, by 25, he would have been done. So there's that. AlphaTauri haven't been confirmed. Uh, so those seats aren't. Aston Martin, you know, Alonso's got a multi-year deal, but Stroll hasn't confirmed yet. Haas, only Kevin Magnussen has signed a multi-year deal, but nothing for 24. And then with Mercedes, obviously with Lewis, and then with Williams, only Alex Albon signing a multi-year deal, which means that Sargent hasn't extended. So there's a lot of open seats, and some of the guys are not performing. So it, it could be very up in the air right now for who goes where. But again, depends. We're not even halfway through the season, so we don't even know how teams are going to bring upgrades, how they're going to perform. But it seems like the young kids are just getting a lot of red cards um, and they might be out for the, the reserve driver season soon. I, I only just want to say that obviously the big news at the moment is just the Lewis Hamilton deal, which many people are talking up. And I think that's, I think that's essentially just a, a case of finalizing money and signing a contract. And so I think, I don't think Lewis is going anywhere. I think he's going to remain at Mercedes for, at least the next two years, uh, yeah. and so we'll, we'll we'll see what happens there. But I, but I also think just in terms of the uh, the future, uh, sort of post twenty twenty five, you know, regulations are going to dictate, in my opinion, that the right way to set up your team is to have an experienced driver who's worked on car development before uh, and can help you know a team grow. Whether that's Audi or it's also another team. Uh, you know, is, is is anyone's guess, but you'd want you'd want an older driver in your car paired with a young hotshot that that is kind of uh, looking good. So I think that's just yeah, that's just something to say. I, and I think I'm not sure how well Carlos Sainz will do in developing a team uh, to a point of developing a race winning car, um, something like a Vettel or a. Uh, Fernando Alonso would so but yeah these are just you know we'll see we'll see but then that does kind of play into what what Matthew said a little bit because you can still put a Sebastian Biddle as your development and then put Carlos Sainz as your technically like your hot shot yeah I don't know if Carlos Sainz is a hot shot but of course um, <laughs> you know what I, just, just hear me he's not you know I don't think I don't think Carlos Sainz has a reputation for being the kind of one lap pace specialist, the you know the, the per, you know between the two of them, um, Sainz and Leclerc, certainly I think reputationally Leclerc is the better one lap uh, um, driver. But I think he's also uh, you know he, he's he's the one that people would say is a hot shot. He's someone who can come in and score some points quite quickly. Um, whereas Sainz is a little bit more sort of safe, if that makes sense. He's the conservative thinker. That will bring the car home, not necessarily in first position, but in the points. You know, and I'm talking just reputationally. So I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily see that as a pairing. Just my opinion. All right. Well, we've still got a couple of years to go before all of this drama unfolds. But Matthew, I'll definitely make a point of it. I'll write this uh, your comments down, and then we can see come 2025. <laughs> oh, Matthew, you're in, you're in now. <laughs> Listen. 
I signed the deal with the devil. It's it's ready. I'm putting my name on it. But look, I I spoke to some people in in motorsport, and uh, there's some strong rumors there. And at the same time, you know, just for context, Audi can't really bring anyone from outside of the F1 realm because they'll have to do a lot of training. Because as many people have seen, you know, you can't just stick yourself in an F1 car um, and expect to perform. It's extremely difficult. So for them to have a track record. They kind of have to work with existing talent. As to who that talent might be, we oh, don't yeah, know. Sure. But but strong strong rumors suggest that you know Carlos is getting very fed up at Ferrari. And I mean, you can see how ugly that marriage is every single weekend. It's it's so awkward. Like I'm not a Ferrari fan, but I feel for the fans just watching that interaction. It is so, yeah, it's it's painful. There's a cohesiveness that's there, and we can all see it. Um, and I think that team, we, I feel like we've been saying this for many years, that team is still trying to build a cohesive team. Do you know what I mean? The, the, mm. You know, that Ross Braun, Michael Schumacher kind of team, you know, that's, they're still trying to, trying to do that. And it's just not working. You know, they're poaching people from Red Bull still. They're, they're trying to build this team, but it's just, just not coming together. And it just seems season after season after season. So, yeah, mm. anyway, good luck to them. <laughs> Shall we move on to um, greener pastures or silver arrow pastures? I don't know what you want to call them after last weekend's race because those Mercedes were at least talking quite well to each other. Yeah, they were. They were. I, I think uh, in comparison to their previous sort of five performances, I think uh, obviously um, Barcelona was a welcome uh, improvement. And of course, you know, they've the, the side pods are working and, and the reworked, uh, um, uh, you know, the, I mean, they've done a lot of work to that car, but everything from the suspension to the to the side pods and obviously everything behind the side pods, it's all working and I think great for them. And I suppose Aston Martin was, was kind of the complete opposite. So we'll see what they do this weekend in terms of the package that they, that they bring. But yeah, I mean, a great weekend for, for, Mercedes, George Russell, and Lewis. Um, I think they certainly were the best of the rest by far. Nobody challenged them. Ferrari had no answer either. Um, so, yeah, good for them. But, of course, as you know, there's the ebb and the flow. So, I think in Canada, Mercedes is going to be on the back foot while we might see some resurgence from guys like Ferrari, Alpine, and the big one, Aston Martin. Um, I, I just want to know why no one is talking about George and Lewis not communicating and touching each other. I think... That's uh, that was it, yeah. Uh, that was that was a big one. Firstly, um, yes, the upgrades did well. Uh, it, it did seem to fare, and the car performed extremely well, uh, better than most people thought. But again, this team dynamic. George is George wants to be the number one boy, and uh, how can you just go on and say, oh, but I didn't see Lewis. He was a hundred percent being cheeky. I think George is the next Nico. And I think George is the kind of person who will win the title and then he'll just be done with his life and carry on. So Mercedes did well, but some team <laughs> dynamic there. It, like, I know they did well, but geez, can we just talk about how terrible that contact was? Because there was plenty of room and George did not leave him room. So, yeah. You know what? I'm seeing I'm seeing some team dynamics coming up there, but I'm definitely seeing it. You know what? I, I, I went on board with both of them like quite a few times because it was so, so odd from our perspective. And uh, this is just from what I saw. I, I, genu I, I, I think, Matthew, you're right in that the communication was exceptionally poor. 
from the team's mm. perspective, not necessarily from George and Lewis. Obviously, they don't have that. They don't kind of have this car to car. But, you know, the team should have... I mean, Lewis, Lewis closed in on George so quickly within that fi- those final two turns. And mm. obviously, George was slowing down because he was trying to build a gap. But somebody should have said something before the guys went head-to-head. And obviously, I think... I think Lewis thought he's going to get a slipstream from George as he as he starts that flying lap, and I think George was trying to start his flying lap as well. Yeah, and and I think obviously that would never have happened. Both of them never would have been able to do mm. a flying lap so close to each other. So one of them would have had to give, but of course they were both on that. It was the last lap that they could do it. So you know, none of them would have given anyway. And and what I do agree with you, Matthew, as well, is I do think George was like, listen, I'm on a flyer, so I'm going, you know, but that's the kind of thing that the team needs to manage as opposed to, you know, let the drivers do it because obviously they're, they're both intending to put a lap in. So there's no way that they're going to yield unless, unless they get told. So it was an awkward one and one that was really cringeworthy. Um, but I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I don't think there's too much angst in the team just yet. Uh, Lewis still got his his second place, and George obviously really really did well from twelfth place on the grid. So I think it's one of those situations where it all gets forgotten because the result is so exciting and so good for the team. Um, but yeah, we'll see, we'll see. But it was poor. You know what's funny? It reminded me of Ferrari or uh, an Alpine. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? It, it reminded me of like. These these two drivers that are are you know, it's me only, and I don't give a heck about the guy behind me, even if it's my teammate, and it's a stark contrast to a sort of mm. Alonso Stroll relationship, which I'm just loving, by the way. Yeah, but that's also because Fernando Alonso is amazing. Like, let's be serious; he just doesn't <laughs> give a hoot about anything or anyone. Fernando Alonso closes in on his teammate, and let's be honest, he didn't have a great race. You know, he. He could have challenged Stroll for some points, but he didn't. He just went, "Hey, tell Lance not to panic. Everything's cool. I'll, I'll I'll let him keep his position." Like, if you really consider it, would George have done that? Would Verstappen have done that? Would Perez have done that? I don't. I don't think so. No. They'd be on the radio saying, "Hey guys, I'm faster than him. Hey, you know, just let him know that I'm faster than him." You know, trying to push for that for that gap. And Alonso didn't. And I found that quite. I find that quite interesting and also quite against what I would have expected from Alonso in a different era. I agree with Avon. That was just, it was class. And I think it's the maturity of Alonso realizing that, you know, they need a weekend like this where they actually just need to gather and collect as much data and to give Lance some confidence based on how he's been finishing. So as a teammate, that is yeah. 10 out of 10 teammate because Alonso wipes the floor with Stroll each weekend. But for him to actually humbly sit back saying, hey, I'm not going to attack you. I can make you look like an idiot, but I'm actually going to work towards the team finishing as a collective for points. That just shows, I guess, the maturity and class that Alonso is. And that that's a driver that you can have respect for. And also someone serious. So if Alonso says he's not going to do something, now you can take his word for it because... Like uh, Avon said, yeah. he had the chance to overtake and he didn't. Although maturity in class, until he gets angry at you and starts swearing at you over the radio like we know and love him to do. No, this is Alonso yeah. 2020. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a new boy. He's a new boy. He's, he's got less yeah. uh, Tabasco sauce in his Mexican food. <laughs> he's over 40. He's mature now. 
Oh, is that the age group that men mature at? Now I know. Thanks. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. <laughs> All right, let's move on and let's chat um, some of the other storylines from last weekend. And the one that I specifically wanted to talk about was Lando Norris and McLaren. I mean, he had an absolutely stunning qualifying speed. And then with contact with Lewis, he was completely out and just wasn't performing race day the way that we would have hoped from his qualifying, um, Matthew. Yeah, look, I mean, that was a shocker. I think, you know, even him coming on the radio saying, hey, you're P3. And he was like, huh? Really? <laughs> so he was shocked. And I think the whole world was, was shocked. But again, he had the opportunity, had the chance. And unfortunately... Lando Norris for the last race was a clear example of how cruel motorsport can be. You know, you can go so well and you can have the most amazing start and then it can all just go horribly wrong. And unfortunately for him, he just fell victim to it. Um, and it was just one of those things where, you know, you had your hopes and you crossed your fingers, but man alive, that was, I think for a McLaren fan, very heartbreaking because, you know, you think, oh, we're back, we can do things, and, you know, we've got grid position. But then forcing to pit at the end of the opening lap, um, and then with no safety car to bring back into contention, it was a lonely race outside of the point. So his adventure with, with uh, McLaren, I don't know, I think he has more fun having time posting on memes and commenting on, on <laughs> Instagram posts because uh, yeah, if I was a driver, that's, that's a, it's a sucky, sucky thing, but I mean, they still got technical changes for this weekend, just like with Mercedes. So um, if we can keep it up and if we can have lady luck, sure. But I mean, that McLaren, it's, it's got a lot of work to do. But we also don't see him moving anywhere, Avon, because he's literally have, has, he's been adopted by Zach Brown. He is part of the McLaren family that man is he's not going anywhere he's going to be with mclaren for life <laughs> yeah it's, it's quite sad because you know he certainly was a hot shot uh, as as he's you know before before these i'd say these last two seasons i mean even last season he had some moments of of stardom he's certainly handy behind the wheel but i think the the team's the team hasn't come together either and the car's a lot of work you know, even he, you know, when a driver is surprised at where they qualify and, and that position is third, um, you know, you've got to understand that he's he's driving a car that's quite a handful. And that McLaren suffers the same ills as the Williams. In fact, to a large degree, the same ills as the Mercedes. It's, it's, it's they struggle to find the balance. So one lap he's understeering, the next lap he's oversteering and, and they can't figure out why. And you know, he said, I think he said in qualifying, you know, it all came together in qualifying. What he's essentially saying is it was a fluke. You know, he's saying like, you know, every everywhere I wanted to put the car, it went. But even I was surprised by that. And so what that means is you can't mm. you can't build confidence as a driver if you don't know what your car is going to do every lap. So and that's why irrespective of his contact with Lewis uh, um, in the first lap, I don't think Lando would have finished in the points. I, I just don't think the car was consistent enough. And I don't think the race car was, was – I think the race car was even worse than than the car in qualifying, just in mm. terms of confidence and balance. And you see that with his teammate as well. And to answer your question, Kriya, it's it's really, really sad. You, you need to understand I'm talking as a fan of McLaren growing up. Um, you know, this really rich motorsport name 
and they just don't seem to get it right. And they can't complain about sponsors, which, you know, they used to complain about, uh, you know, beforehand. They've got the sponsors, as far as I know. So I just, I, again, I just don't know what it is. It's, it's a really sad situation to see McLaren continuously being a sort of fifth, sixth order team. And then when, and then when they qualify third, even they're surprised. They're just going, "Wow, what the heck happened there?" <laughs> Can we put all of this down to perhaps how you know the hybrid era, or not even the hybrid era, the the changes that came last year into Formula One has really put such a big disruption on teams that the only team that seems to have gotten it right is actually Red Bull. Look, I think it's a common occurrence when rules are changed and regulations are changed that there will be you know generally two or three teams that sort of rise to the top and get it right uh, sort of from the get-go and then those that sort of play catch-up uh, you know mercedes you know we, we could look at mercedes from 2014 onwards um, and how that happened with them and then of course the regulations change and it's no secret that red bull just got it right from from day one so that's quite common i think i think what's a little bit uncommon is one team getting it so right you know red bull particularly in the hands of max I, I don't i don't think we i certainly think max could win every race this season without a problem you know he'll break all the records and everybody will just go oh formula one is boring and you know we know max is going to win but i see no reason why he he shouldn't um that red bull is so far ahead of any other car on the grid and so uh, that is quite uncommon to have that much of an advantage, particularly in the second year after regulations have changed. Mm. So that for me is a, is a I mean, look, I'm, I'm doffing my hat to, to the Red Bull team and Adrian Newey uh, in particular, but, and Christian Horn, in fact, the whole team, we must, we must give credit where it's due. Uh, but yeah, geez, you, you got to look at Mercedes and Aston Martin, and these are highly resourced teams and they're just not getting it right. The other thing, of course, that's making it really difficult is this cost cap. And yeah. the cost cap is, in my opinion, something that's, well, let's be honest, it's something we've never seen in Formula One before. And so what it does mean is it means the team that gets it right is going to enjoy that success for a little bit longer because it's much harder for the other teams to catch up. And that's unfortunately something we're just going to have to deal with. But I, I do know that whisperings in the paddock are that this cost cap thing is a problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I think we, we're going to see some creative ways of trying to uh, get through this cost cap without being penalized. I mean, I can tell you, there are so many Red Bull staff that are being poached at crazy prices, which I then go, how do you lure someone from a winning team? You lure them with money. And yeah, you lure them with a challenge and all that other stuff, but you lure them with money. And it's a lot of money as far as I, I know. And so you then question, well, that salary bill has got to be astronomical. So how do you keep within a cost cap when you are hiring staff at such a high rate? So, yeah, this is just something that I think we're going to see changes going forward. Mm -hmm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. I'll definitely, I'll agree with you on that one. And I think that, what you guys were talking about earlier, what Matthew put out earlier with the changes in terms of drivers, I think that's where you're also going to see an effect come in with your cost cap. Because if you're going to be spending so money on your technical team, are you going to be spending that much money on your drivers as well? But we'll get into that 
as we carry on and as we progress down the season and in the next couple of years, because that's obviously when we'll see the changes. But let's look at this weekend that's coming up. Obviously, it's the Canadian Grand Prix. Um, the circuit is great. It's got a lot of low-speed corners, straight-line speed, lots of overtaking areas. It's really going to be a great track. And I think the fact that, Matthew, a lot of teams are bringing um, some upgrades, specifically Aston Martin, this could be a very positive sign for the best of the rest. Yeah, look, there's, it's a big upgrade. Look, it's, it's quite a demanding circuit. Um, Canada is notoriously hard on the brakes. Um, so the compounds of this weekend are C3, C4 and C5. So that's the hard, medium and soft. Uh, there's going to be uh, some interesting changes to camber on the tires. So that's obviously to make sure that the car performs well. Um, the lap record is still Valtteri Bottas. I think it's a 113. Um, so still quite a high-speed circuit, but it's a time for teams to actually bring physical upgrades because it was in the waters last race, whereas now we're actually we're going properly to circuits. So teams either could debut it. So Mercedes obviously debuted their upgrades and it did well. And I know a lot of the teams are going to wait for Canada because Canada is more physically demanding on a car. So Aston bringing a lot of upgrades, uh, Mercedes bringing a lot of upgrades. But again, the upgrades don't really mean much because it's still quite early on in the season and they want to chuck it on and see if it works because if that formula doesn't work, they might as well stay as consistent as they are. Someone like Aston Martin, they are bringing some upgrades, but they do have quite a perfect car. So for them to fiddle with technical upgrades, it's probably just to get a slight edge on the Red Bull um, because they know that second place belongs to them for now. Uh, but if Mercedes has picked up their socks, I think that's when they need to start advantaging that car over the three and P4 that are coming for them. But I mean, we let's look at some of some of the news stories that may have come out. And I agree with you 100%, Matthew. It's going to be an interesting when it comes to, obviously, the best of the rest. So it's the Ferraris, the Mercedes, and the Aston Martins are our core teams that we're kind of looking at. And the one thing is that yeah. Mercedes is actually gone through all the technicalities of it with their updates and the upgrades that they've made. And they said they're actually not 100% positive going into this weekend. Yeah, look, it, it's, um, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. I know Avon said, um, you know, the, the Red Bull advantage has been incredibly hard and incredibly difficult. But I also want to point out that, you know, for, for um, any other person not considering the season, you know, when Mercedes was introduced to the V6 era in 2014, they were dominant. You know, they, they were so dominant and just such a bully to the other teams. It just meant that other people adopt to it. Um, and it's, it's basically you either get it or you don't. And some people get the rules and some don't. Um, so a lot of teams are going to struggle. But also Formula One is very risky. Um, and we all know this. So you can make a major, major, major improvement. Like, remember the joke was George Russell went on Netflix and he was like, when I saw the car for the first time, this thing was so freaking fast. And I was like, yeah, right. So again, that's a perfect example of you take a big risk. And what did it do? It flopped. So when you're so far into the season, it's more about, okay, how can we develop this car to either gain one or two positions or to hold position like an Aston Martin? Or, you know, if you take a massive risk, but then you also have the risk of losing out a position because points are money. And depending where you finish on that ladder, that's how much money and wind tunnel time you get. So if you're willing to take a risk and drop two places, you know, that's like two, 300 million rand worth of development gone. And for a team that's small or trying to climb up the ladder, that's big money. So 
it's either you stay consistent and work on what you have and, and not take any risks, but also just fiddle and fidget. You know, they'll, they'll put the high-vis paint on it and they'll put the error rakes on it. That's just to gather data so that they can at least work on getting a strong 24 season. But then there's other teams that are saying, hey, well, we've got 24 and 25 left. Let's just work on a 26 car and maybe take our car and perfect it and at least shove it up the grid two positions. So I don't think teams are going to be willing to take that much risk. I think the people who are wanting to take risks are probably P2, P3, and P4. Those are the ones that fight for the most amount of money because they want to try to get as close to Red Bull dominance as possible. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Canada itself. And Avon, maybe you can help us out on this one. I put this in because I hear, you know, a lot of people chatting about, you know, they've just kind of come into Formula One. Um, they're starting to learn the sport again, the the DTS generation, the drive to survive generation, if you want to call it that. And one of the <laughs> things that everybody talks about is the wall of champions. Now, of course, you and I understand that. But what is it to an average person that is listening to this for the first time? And maybe this is their first Canadian Grand Prix that they're watching. What is the Wall of Champions? Sure. So I think to say the Wall of Champions wasn't always called the Wall of Champions. Um, it, it obviously got that name uh, after a whole bunch of world champions crashed into it. Uh, in many cases, either losing their title lead or losing the lead in the race. Or in some cases, it wasn't free practice or qualifying. But I think, I, I think it happened in 1999 when uh, homeboy uh, Jacques Villeneuve crashed into the, into that wall. Let's call it. Um, it was called something else at the time, and uh, famously thereafter, because he was a world champion, and I guess because he was a homeboy, famously thereafter, we started to call it the Wall of Champions. But since then, uh, and, and of course, once it sticks, it sticks. Since then, a whole bunch of people have crashed into that wall, including. Michael Schumacher, including Lewis Hamilton, including Sebastian Pickle. Um, and of course, these are all world champions that we all know. And uh, th I think the whole point is that wall is unforgiving. It does not let up and uh, it does not discriminate. So it doesn't matter if you're black or white or uh, you're new or you're old, it will it will bite you uh, at some point. Um, but yeah, I think it was since 1999 it was called the Wall of Champions. But um, yeah, that only came about what 30 years after the circuit was uh, after the, the we started racing in Canada. So, but yeah, that's what the Wall of Champions is. Okay, do we see some rookies um, putting their name in the jar this weekend as well? Yeah, I feel like Sergeant. I feel like. <laughs> <no. laughs> I just feel like you know maybe him. <laughs> uh, no, I mean these these guys are good. I mean it. You know what I found? It, it it's it really is not discriminatory. Like sometimes it happens in free practice. One, we're going to have rain this weekend, possibly. In fact, not possibly. I think there is rain this weekend. So yeah. I'm sure somebody's going to say hi to that wall. Um, so, yeah, it's a case of who and how many. Okay. So it's a great circuit. Um, like Matthew spoke about, you've got, you've got to be very heavy on the brakes, very slow corners, but they've also got some really nice overtaking spots. Uh, and I think with that said, and with our time, I think we need to get into our predictions for this weekend. Um, and Matthew, I think I'm going to start with you because I know it's going to be a one, two finish for Red Bull. Mm, you are right. And I'm glad I've got a little bit of a, <laughs> Uh, a conundrum for you. So I'll give you a who wins the race, my surprise of the weekend team and surprise of the weekend driver, as well as the disappointment. So, you know, it's hard to argue with uh, Red Bull and Max. I mean, he's been far too impressive the last three to four seasons. So there's no real competition for him. So um, an easy P1 for him. Surprise of the weekend, 
um, that's definitely going to be on the fence of Aston Martin, whether, you know, the jury's out on their upgrades and whether they can deliver. Uh, but surprise driver uh, for my P2 is obviously Sergio Perez. Um, he needs to make a statement yes. desperately to stop that ever-increasing deficit to max. Um, but, you know, um, it's expected as he wins the race of Sergio, easy P2 or P1. He's been impressive, but, you know, his track superiority against Max, you know, it makes him the next logical threat. Um, but I don't know, it might be too far out the reach. So I'm going to go with him for P2. P3, I'm going to stick Lewis there. I think the upgrades are quite good. Um, so that for me would be the one, two, three. Um, disappointment of the weekend. I'm probably also going to stick in Mercedes because um, they have a weakness, which was the rear suspension that they were struggling with. And they struggle quite heavily on. Um, so they are bringing an upgraded package, but if that will work, I'm not so sure. And then obviously disappointment of the weekend is definitely going to be Lance Stroll. It's home race. I think he's going to flop it. Um, you know, he. I, I just, I'm just going to chuck it up there. Um, you know, there's a there's there's many other things that I have to say, but I, I think, you know, Lance has something to prove, and it's his home race. So I think he's just going to bin it and, and not put any points for the team. But yeah, for me, it's it's going to be Max versus Sergio, and then surprisingly enough, I'm going to have to chuck up Mercedes there for P3, P4, um, because I've, I kind of feel like the worms are going to come out for Ferrari based on how they were, you know exposing their marriage to us last weekend i think it's going to be a case of who's the priority of a driver first um we know that leclerc is a good driver we know that science is a good driver but i think their team dynamic and team calls and team tactics are going to be the thorn in their side and that's what mercedes are going to capitalize on. very interesting so i think we're going to have some issues of weather whether it's in qualifying or it's in uh the race itself i think it's going to throw a cat among the pigeons so yeah, I'm gonna go slightly. I'm gonna go slightly different. I'm still gonna chalk up Max for the win, and then I'm gonna go Charles Leclerc, crazily, and then I'm gonna oh. go Fernando Alonso. So I think we're gonna have a very colourful grid or a colourful podium. That is my opinion. I think that the rain is going to not um, help some teams, and it's going to yeah, it's going to be a strategic call. And I know that's going against what Matthew's saying about Ferrari or messing up strategy, but uh, I think this one will play into their hands. So, Red Bull, Ferrari, Aston. Ah. Even with Lewis being an amazing wet driver, we're not even going to think know, Lewis, about him up there. Um, uh, do you know what? I I'm I'm going to play to the I'm going to play to what what we what we can see and what we can read, and that is that's you know even before these upgrades. Canada was never going to suit this W14, uh, and that's my opinion. You know, it's it's just not everything that's wrong with the W14. Canada is going to unearth, and I think uh, yeah. Aston Aston is going to be the opposite. I think I think they'll have they'll have a decent car, and I think you know what I think the Ferrari is actually I think is a decent package. They just haven't quite been able to um, put it together over a full weekend, get it right in qualifying, and then get it right in the race as well. So I'm. I'm thinking they'll get it right this weekend. Okay, interesting. That's why we call it speculation. <laughs> We're definitely not experts in our field. No, no, no. <laughs> um, okay, so... <laughs> No, I, no, we definitely are. And that's why I'm going to go with my educated guesses on this one. I'm obviously going to go with a Max first. I think we might as well just not 
you know, judge anybody in first place any longer. We can just start from like maybe do second, third and fourth because we all know that Max is going to win most of the races for the rest of the season. Um, so Max in first, I'm going to go with Matthew, with Sergio in second, and I'm, I want to see Aston Martin back on the podium. So I'm going to do Alonso in third. That's, that's what I think is going to, going to happen. Got you. Hmm. Look, Alonso seems quite confident, so uh, yeah, let's see. I mean, it's the safest bet I could possibly go. I've been so left field the last couple of weeks. I might as well just go safe and then bank up some fantasy league points. Yeah, I think next week, let's just do a tally of, of you know, who was bang on the money and who wasn't. Avon, you know you're going to come out on top, so I don't know why. <laughs> hey, well, we'll see. I've had a poor, I've had a poor run these last three. So, yeah, but it's exciting. Cool. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Canada is, of course, this weekend, uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun and a really great race to watch. Hopefully, there'll be some great on-track action so that we don't have some Sunday afternoon snoozing. Um, but, Jens, thank you so much for joining me, and we'll chat to you again before the next race. Creator Matthew, thank you so much. We'll see you trackside. It's a pleasure. See you guys soon.